Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. Well, here we are. We're in the fourth quarter of 2021, and we are still in a state of flux when it comes to the world of work. Companies are struggling with whether to bring everyone back to the office or wait longer. There's labor shortages, it would seem, everywhere. And just what normal looks like in terms of work is not really clear. But some organizations are handling things better than others. Well, my guest today is Tammy Browning. Tammy's president of Kelly OCG, and Kelly OCG has done a fairly comprehensive survey to help us understand all of this. It's called the 2021 Global Workforce Agility Report, and it looks at how companies have coped during the past year. And, you know, they took a fairly comprehensive look at this. They looked geographically, and they also looked at a lot of different sectors, and looked at what organizations are planning in terms of strategy, how they've been coping. And what struck me as I read through this is that you have some that were really ahead of the curve and some that were, I don't want to say struggling to catch up or kind of just behind the curve. And it made a difference in terms of their results. They call them in the survey, the vanguards and the laggards, which is a really good way to separate the two. So Tammy talked to me about all of this, how each set of companies operate and what we can learn from them in terms of things to emulate and things that we want to avoid. So it was a really great conversation with her. Please stay with us. As we start to think about the post-pandemic period, it's a good time for companies to be planning for the future of work. And in many cases, that means making some hard decisions about the direction that they really want to go. Well, to talk about some of this and some of the things leaders should perhaps be thinking about, I'm joined today by Tammy Browning. Tammy is the president of Kelly OCG. The company has put out a really interesting report called the Global Workforce Agility Report. It looks at a lot of the things that companies have been doing over the past 18 months and the things that they're thinking about. She joins me now from San Francisco. Hi, Tammy. Hi, Linda. How are you? I'm just here. Well, thank you so much for being here. You know, I have a lot of questions about this report. And there's a lot of things to discuss, but I always like to start by asking people about their own careers and sort of how they got to doing what they're doing. Yeah, so Linda, it's interesting because our industry, specifically staffing, we there are very few people that you're going to find that entered into this career by design. In fact, most of us have fallen into it in some way, shape, or form, reached out to by a recruiter or some other entry point. And in my case, I was looking for a new career. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. I didn't know coming out of school where I wanted to be. And in fact, I was running restaurants and I, if it, this dates me a little bit, I faxed my resume <laughs> and put it through a good old fashioned fax machine and received a phone call from Kelly to actually work directly for them as a temporary employee. So my entry into this industry 22 years ago was internally working for Kelly as a temporary employee. And I have career path to the role I have today, which is, um, which is quite amazing when you look at how our industry is about finding work for people that in ways that enrich their lives. And I happen to be one of the people that I did that for. Interesting. And we should say that your part of the company is part of the larger Kelly services company, correct? 
That's right. In fact, we are wholly owned by Kelly. Kelly OCG specifically manages the large customer base, the global managed service business, and those customers that are complex in nature that are looking for outcome-based recruitment process outsourcing or some type of managed service solution. So really more delivery-based consultative business is the, is the, uh, the area of business that I support. I think it's interesting because Kelly was really a leader in contingent workers, which are all the rage right now and maybe the next step for everyone. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, we started the industry, we pioneered it 75 years ago. We're proud of that. Uh, We are uh, operational in over 54 countries around the world. And it's awesome to be able to know that we impact over 400,000 people every single year with work in ways that enriches their lives. So yes, it is awesome to be in that position. Well, work is going through this transition. We are, I'd like to say, near the end of the pandemic, but certainly 18 months into it. And we tried all these experiments around work and companies are kind of figuring out what works and what doesn't. Now, you've done this report, the Workforce Agility Report, and you've talked to, was it a thousand organizations? A thousand executives in, um, in over 400 different organizations so all, everything from C-suite to board level directors, as well as even down into the organization to some of the business leaders themselves. It was a, a really widespread global report over 13 countries to include Canada, as a matter of fact. Okay, I want to ask about all of that, but is, is there a way you can summarize how people feel like going through this? Going through the report itself? I no, going through this experience of the pandemic and trying to reorganize work around this. Well, I think going through the the pandemic and trying to reorganize reorganize and, and rationalize how we were going to handle these unprecedented times have just been a, a change we could never have anticipated. But I think that the net net is many organizations dusted off, um, you know, their business continuity plans that they never thought they would have to engage, um, strategies that they never thought they would have to deploy, and uh, and in particular, there has been many organizations that have said we didn't know that we had the ability to go fully remote. And then there were some that were just surprising organizations that we suspected would be prepared and and able to just immediately mobilize workforce remotely. And there were many that were not. And so our report has actually suggested why that is and what has happened over time. When we really look at the way the report aligns, it aligns to two different classifications, sort of personas, if you will, the vanguards and the laggards. And it and it really showed who was ahead of the curve and who was not. I like the terminology, vanguards and laggards. Uh, you know, just a clear, the ones who were, as you say, ahead of the curve. What is a vanguard in terms of going through this? Yeah, so the vanguards were those that were clearly ahead. So when you think about the report itself, we really centered in on four key principles, if you were. So it was workforce agility, DEI, tech adoption, and really that overall strategy to the future of work. And what we saw with the vanguards in particular was as we approached them in the questions, they answered in ways where they were far more progressive, meaning they had thought about improving workforce agility. So in fact, 87% of the vanguards say improving visibility of the talent across their businesses was the most important thing where the laggards, only 40% of them said that they were even prepared for this. So think about just the differences and the uniquenesses around those companies that were very prepared for uh, unprecedented times and those that were not. So hence, we've called them vanguards. 
And of course, the laggards are those that are just lagging behind. It doesn't mean that they're not prepared to get there. It means that they're just not as advanced as the vanguards. Now, obviously, you're not going to give us names of which ones are the laggards, but are there characteristics or is there an industry or a size that goes with this or was it everyone? Random. Yeah, it was a global report. Again, 13 countries, 10 industries. So it would be the major industries that you would suspect. So anything from life sciences to even the pharmaceutical space, healthcare, uh, automotive, um, any kind of high tech industries. We did try to address all major industries to see if there were some anomalies. And in fact, the industries weren't necessarily the anomalies. It was just truly those that were ahead of the curve and those that were not. We didn't find one industry better than the other, in fact, throughout the report. So it comes down to management, basically? It comes down to readiness and preparedness of, of what, what organizations had been should have been addressing all along. So if you think, for example, about diversity, equity, inclusion, the pandemic has really socialized the need for DE&I. That has been over time in history, something that is incredibly important. When you think about, you know, only 38% of the leaders actually are even addressing the well-being of their employees and the wellness and health programs of their employees. It's really interesting when you read some of the data that there were organizations that were prepared and some that were not because they were thinking about these things in advance. And then if you kind of spin it back a little bit and think about this misnomer for so many years where organizations just had this um, opinion, if you will, that remote workforce wasn't the way of the future. And now you look today, I don't think the pan- if the pandemic proved anything, it proved that people are just as productive working from their homes and getting work done and driving what is now going to be a, probably a continuous state of flux around the new normal of, of working from home. But I don't think that we'll ever see a, a expectation of being back into the workforce like we did before. So there were some areas where there were companies like Kelly, for example, our organization, had uh, a, an initiative in play where we, in fact, had a remote workforce strategy. We called it uh, Kelly Anywhere. And we deployed that over six years ago. And so when the pandemic hit, we were remote within 24 hours without skipping a beat. There were many organizations that had had that strategy. And there were some that had no strategy for what could be a remote workforce in the future of work. And that's what the report really highlighted. Are there some companies that are still resisting this? Did you find that at all? Or is everyone more open to it now? Well, I think there's always going to be organizations that are going to resist. There's going to be jobs specifically necessary that are going to be resistant because they have to be, right? There's essential workers there's workers that require on-site expectations or being in a, in, in a facility that requires them to be there day-to-day. But I do think um, the organizations that are, and in fact, both the vanguards and the laggards say it is incredibly important to have a remote workforce of those roles that can be. And the reason that they found it incredibly important is because what they've found is their recruiting challenges and being able to identify talent across the globe to fulfill their obligations for the work that needed to be done, their talent pools just opened up uh, much different than they had before. Work that was required maybe to be done in one geographic location can now be done anywhere in the world and had been proven to do such. But yeah, there are still some organizations. And in fact, I do think over time, what this report will show as we continue to do this over time, is that many organizations will try to go back 
to some level of those on-site versus off-site or hybrid models. And I think they'll see a significant amount of resistance. And, and I do think the future of work is that a hybrid model is really going to be about what the worker wants and less about what the employer wants. You mentioned technology in this report in several places that you're seeing more use of online surveys and HR using this. Is it uh, something that companies have had to invest in and do they see the value in it or was it already there? Yeah, so 88% of the vanguards say that adopting tech technologies is critical to enhancing the employee experience and the long-term business strategies. And in fact, 94% believe that their responsibility is to ensure that employees have the skills needed to adopt these new technologies quickly, where only 48% of the laggards said that this was important to them. So look at that disparity amongst them. There's a significant uh, gap there. Many have begun implementing new strategies. And a lot of it is um, really just sort of managing, you know, what will be a, a way to track productivity, metrics, uh, visibility into their workforce, visibility into data, even eliminating some of those mundane tasks that would normally be done, that can be done by technologies is helping the health and well-being of, the, of our employee base. But the reason that we're also seeing leading on technology in this place is that when you think about how we all went remote together at the same time, there was a significant gap in our ability to manage and lead talent that way. Talent doesn't, and hiring managers and line level individuals and uh, even executives at some level have really had very little experience with managing a workforce on a remote scale. And so the adoption of tech is helping them identify ways to better lead that workforce. So yes, it is an important barrier um, that caused many organizations to be underprepared. But I do think the pandemic is, if there's silver linings, this is one of them, as many organizations have proven that they can have better technology strategies around talent acquisition, employee experience, gain the advantage of their peer groups, create employee uh, value propositions that are far stronger, and really and change the employee experience in terms of working directly and the roles in which they're in today. So this, if there's a silver lining, this is one of them without question. Did you ask a question about whether they intend to use tech perhaps to, I would say, replace workers, but not grow their workforce the same way? Yeah, you know, when you think of future of work just in general, the terminology future of work, several years ago, that term was used more for the shift in work going from humans over to some type of AI or robotics that is still a, a message and a narrative. And in fact, it still will happen. I do think the terminology of future work has shifted now to remote and hybrid and all the other things. That's not going to replace the need to upskill and reskill the workforce to be able to address these incoming technical strategies that are going to be deployed no matter whether the pandemic occurred or not. Is it happening at the rate of pace that we saw or expected that it would in terms of AI and other initiatives taking over the workforce, it has not. But where we are seeing it happen is in those roles, again, as I talked about that, the skills that are mundane, maybe report writing, analytics, data review, you are seeing a lot more what we call RPA or recruitment process automation, where there's organizations adopting tech strategies to identify talent better and sustain and retain them more effectively. So yes, I do see that coming. I do think the priority today is going to be on this hybrid workforce, 
How do we upskill and retrain talent? And then the next report I anticipate in a year, we're going to see much more about the talent crunch, the talent shortage, and the preparedness that these vanguards had versus the laggards. And, and if, in fact, that's going to change the future of work in terms of upskilling as well. The talent shortage, I totally believe, is a major concern. However, North American companies have never been great about retraining. There's always been this concern, if I train somebody, they're going to quit and I'm going to lose my investment. Do you see that changing, whether in this report or just in general from what you're hearing? Yeah. So, you know, when you think about right now, the amount of, if you just look at the North American job reports that came out last week, which was spectacular, by the way, we should all be very ecstatic about what's to come from an economics perspective. But that said, overall, when you look at the talent shortage, particularly in that skilled labor category, which is where we're seeing the, the talent crunch today, and I anticipate it will be across many organizations over time, many skills over time, I do anticipate that what we're going to see is organizations are not going to be prepared for what that worker's expectations are. So the talent crunch is some about skill, but it's also about their expectation about, again, DE&I, employee fluidity, being able to work from home, the experience of the worker, being able to um, have a flexible work environment, being able to potentially have childcare available to them, all those things that are going to become the future of work. And I do suspect that the talent crunch will only get worse before it gets better. And so employers need to be much more aligned to what that means and how to be the employer choice for that workforce. I noticed in this report, you mentioned that contingent workers should be included when companies are doing their planning. Now, that's really different from what we've been used to. In fact, and sometimes there's laws that says, you know, if you treat them like workers, then they're not really contingent workers. You have to change how compensation is done and everything else. Do you think they'll be more widely adopted? Yeah, in fact, it's um, it's not necessarily uncommon. So what we're seeing right now is that many organizations are supplementing their workforce with the contingent workforce population. In fact, the jobs report highlighted that, that in fact, the contingent uh, categories, and in fact, even my own business is up over 30% in demand from what it was pre-pandemic. So we have more jobs open today than we have talent. There is no question about that. Where I think we have an opportunity over time is to understand how we retain the talent. So, you know, you asked a lot about or you asked a question about, do we see retention issues? The millennial population makes up, uh, you know, a, a large proponent, one to three millennials, right? So the workforce is one in three millennials. It's the largest generation today. And what we're finding is only 33% of them in the report are engaged in their work. So when you think about the demand being up significantly, meaning more jobs than people, and you have what I call the leaky bucket of talent, so that talent that is leaving for better opportunities, maybe perhaps they're leaving for a Vanguard organization versus a laggard organization. So the continuous need to hire and retain talent and the cost to employers to do that, they're offsetting that by using contingent workers because the organizations that do this for a living, staffing agencies in particular, we're hiring, recruiting, and engaging talent on behalf of our clients every single day. It's all we do. That's our specialty. That's our strengths. And so we can generally hit the marketplace slightly different than an employer can. And we have a greater sense of urgency to fulfill those roles. 
But if anything comes out of this report, I really do hope that many organizations, not just aligned to the vanguards, but they think about the retention of the workforce that they have today. Because if you're going to lose nearly 30% of your population to a new job, we are never going to be able to keep up with that, as I call it, leaky bucket of talent. Tammy, this was an international report, as you said. What are the differences you see in the in the regions, Europe versus North America versus anywhere else? Yeah, you know what was uh, what's really fascinating about that is that no no surprise um, to some degree that the uh, North America is a bit more progressive, particularly when you think of um, DE and I and some other initiatives. But what I should mention very quickly is that. Our uh, Workforce Agility Report, this is not the first time that we've actually done it. We've done it in APAC for the last number of years. So that's the Asia Pacific market. We've done it for the last several years to get a handle on what we were seeing in the Asian markets, because it is interesting in terms of production and demand and R&D and all the things that come out of it. It was interesting for us to get ahead of it. This was our first year actually doing it on a global scale. So we were, when you look sort of holistically, in fact, 47% of the leaders in APAC say their intention is to use contingent labor more frequently. That was normal in the APAC region. Now, to your earlier point, there are some legislation um, regulations that are out there that change the way that looks, but they're still very progressive as it relates to contingent labor, how they look at contingent talent, temporary labor in general, And they also were very much centered around this hybrid model post-pandemic. Then you flip over and you look at Europe and EMEA, and we found that 64% of executives say that remote work has a positive impact on the employees, and that 69% say that's going to increase their motivation. So they're actually looking at things slightly different. They're saying, well, if we can motivate people more in Europe and can have them stay longer, we may consider hiring them more full-time versus contingent labor because it's a different level of attraction. And then, of course, in North America, where we've been, uh, it's been a progressive market related to contingent labor. Um, most organizations have a strategy around a percentage or a mix of talent that's specifically related to, con- to contingent labor. And in fact, many organizations use contingent labor as their entry point for what we call attempt to hire. So they give them the opportunity to try before they buy. So we saw similarities across the globe in terms of both the vanguards and the laggards, but what was important to them was slightly different in terms of how they engaged that workforce. Okay, so you did this survey in the midst of a pandemic, basically. Let's assume we move around away from this, and if you do it again in a year or 18 months, what are the things you're, you expect to see that are different? I expect to see, you know, was, what was really interesting um, was initially the first part of the report, when it came out, we uh, there was this notion that organizations were able to fill roles more and had the ability to fill jobs faster during the pandemic than they had pre-pandemic. So what, and of course, as you indicated, we did this in the middle of the pandemic and pulled it all together in the middle of the pandemic. And at the end of this report, as we were sort of going through the cycle, what we have found is now the talent crunch is happening. So I suspect we're going to see a lot more around the access to talent. We're going to see a lot more about upskilling talent and reskilling talent. You're going to see a lot more about removing those barriers to entry 
four candidates. So today's there's this notion that you have to have a four-year degree, you have to have all this. There's going to be a much more progressive strategy to groom talent, to bring them in, to make them their own as an organization. Many organizations, I imagine, will go back to um, investing in talent in a way where they're educate, they're you know, paying for education, they're putting through education programs. That had been tabled for a number of years. And I suspect we're going to see a lot more from the vanguards and the laggards around how that changes in the, in the coming years. And what's also really important, and I think we'll see this happen more frequently over time, is this report has received such an incredible amount of of um, accolades and support from so many organizations, I suspect we'll see many more companies partaking in the report uh, than we had. We thought a thousand was a wonderful number. We suspect that it will be close to fifteen hundred to two thousand next year that will want to be part of this, if not more, because there was so much value coming out of it. And it really is about a holistic talent strategy. So it's less about contingent labor versus full-time labor. It's really about how companies show up in the workplace and attract their talent. So I think that's what we're going to see a lot more of in the next reports. Do you think the laggards are going to step up? Do you think it's going to be a better workplace in general? Uh, I do think the laggards will step up in, in some areas. I do think that the vanguards will go backwards in some areas because it happens, right? As we move forward, in our world, there are things that we prioritize over others, and we have to remind ourselves that when you think about workforce fluidity, agility in the workforce, attracting people, and if you really just think about what this generation, particularly the millennials and the incoming generation, their expectations of how employers behave and treat them are going to be very different than the pre-generations as it relates to what they've seen. So their expectations are going to be much, much higher around how companies treat them. So I suspect we'll see some laggards prioritize things that they realize were gaps. And I suspect we'll see some vanguards think that they've got it all under control and they may fall backwards a little bit. It just, uh, it's, it's just a, an interesting dynamic. It's unprecedented times. And um, it's always interesting to watch this kind of uh, information unfold. Absolutely. It's going to be a fascinating period post-pandemic. Hopefully post-pandemic starts soon. Uh, Tammy, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, it was an honor to be here. Thanks, Linda. Tammy Browning is president of Kelly OCG. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about this survey and about Tammy, please check out our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at Relentless Eco. Now, if you did enjoy this discussion about the future of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people to find us, and that will help us continue these discussions about the future of work. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future, and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.